the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is our time. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Today we're going to talk with Jonathan McKee. He's the author of The Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, 21 Tips to Wise Posting in an Insecure World. And don't tell him I told you so, but there just might be some great information for adults as well. Later in the program, we're going to hear from Greg uh, Allen. He's a pastor of Bethany Bible Church. He's been a guest on this program many times. He's also hosted the program. He recently uh, posted a, uh, a piece on the death of Hugh Hefner. We're going to share that, but also a conversation we had back in July on what uh, what constitutes and what precedes an awakening and how we might prepare for that as we wind our way through some of the troubles in our culture. I know that many of us are earnestly praying for an, a great awakening, and we'll talk about what that is and how that happens, what we've seen in the past and how you and I might uh, humble ourselves um, and pray for something similar in our age. Well, the U.S. economy grew a bit faster than previously estimated in the second quarter, according to its quickest pace in more than two years. But the momentum probably slowed in the third quarter as Hurricanes Harvey and Irma temporarily curbed activity. Gross domestic product increased at a 3.1 percent annual rate in the April-June period, the Commerce Department said in its third estimate uh, today. The upward revision from the 3.0 percent pace of uh, growth reported last month reflected an increase in inventory investment. Growth last quarter was the fastest since the first quarter in 2015 and followed a 1.2% pace of growth in the January through March period. Economists had expected the second quarter GDP growth would be uh, unrevised at a 3.0 percentage rate, but it uh, it was. Harvey, which uh, struck Texas, has been blamed for much of the decline in retail sales, industrial production, home building, and home sales in August. Further weakens, weakness rather is anticipated in September after Irma slammed into Florida earlier this month. Rebuilding is, however, expected to boost growth in the fourth quarter and in nearly uh, early 2018. Growth estimates for the July-September period are just above 2. 2% pace. Well, speaking of uh, natural disasters and the havoc it has wrought on many places, including and perhaps uh, mostly uh, Puerto Rico, a U.S. territory inhabited by U.S. citizens, President Donald Trump ordered the Jones Act we talked about yesterday to be waived for shipments to Hurricane uh, a ravaged island, sparking complaints from lawmakers who either opposed the move or thought the length of the waiver was too short. Well, the waiver, which came at the request of Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rossello, is effective immediately and lasts for 10 days. It covers all products being shipped to Puerto Rico. It is intended to ensure we have enough fuel and commodities to support life-saving efforts, respond to the storm, restore critical services and critical infrastructure operations in the wake of these devastating storms. So says the Homeland Security Secretary, Elaine. Duke in a statement. The 1920 Jones Act is, as we discussed yesterday, a maritime law that requires shipments of goods between two U.S. ports to be made with American flagged vessels.
vessels and manned by American crews. Pressure was mounting on the Trump administration to lift the restrictions regarding supplies being sent to uh, help Puerto Rico recover from Hurricane Maria, which hit the U.S. territory more than a week ago. The governor thanked the president on Thursday on in a Twitter why Puerto Rico pushed Trump to waive this law. Well, quick. Um, uh, finally, the White House uh, has the opportunity to expedite uh, goods and services being sent there. Uh, that's a good thing. Top Republican and Democrats in the House said that the in the Transportation Maritime Committee said that they were against waiving the Jones Act for long or for short. And this has been done by previous administrations, typically for six to nine months, sometimes as long as a year. They said the concerns about the situation in Puerto Rico are real, but we must focus our attention on the actions that can deliver real results on the island. That's a quote from Republican Duncan Hunter and Democrat John uh, Garamendi uh, writing a letter to House colleagues waiving the Jones Act will not help and in fact could hinder the response. The two Californians wrote there's more than adequate supply of U.S. flag vessels to cost effectively and efficiently deliver the goods from U.S. ports to Puerto Rico. They said other Democrats backed the suspicion, but suspension rather, but said 10 days wasn't enough. That, of course, can be modified if needed. Representative uh, Velasquez of New York said Democrats want the waiver extended for a year. Uh, and others had other things to say. The bottom line is, at least for the next 10 days, it has been waived. And what happens after that, we'll just uh, try to report when the time comes. Well, a request by Green Bay Packers players for fans to join them in a show of unity during the national anthem before their game tonight apparently did little to calm the debate. Packers fans uh, on Wednesday continued to blast the NFL, the team and players, for what they perceive as showing disrespect for the nation, the flag, the military or the national anthem by sitting, kneeling, remaining in the locker room or locking arms during the national anthem. Well, supporters say players are peacefully exercising their free speech rights on the best stage available. Part of the problem is they're not really sure what the message is uh, among the many and varied players. We've had a, a steady stream of feedback beginning Monday morning, and it continued into Wednesday. We've heard on both sides of the matter. That's a quote from Aaron Popke. He's the Packers director of public affairs. We take note of their concerns. Hmm. Well, the Packers players uh, rather play the Chicago Bears tonight at 730. If you want to know what Dan Rice is doing, he'll be watching the game in a nationally televised game that follows a weekend when all but one NFL team staged some show of unity or protest. And it wasn't always clear which one was which. The Packers um, uh, tonight will uh, have asked their uh, fans to lock arms in solidarity with them. Again, the, the message that they're asking them to support isn't altogether clear and it was not clarified. The issue escalated after the president urged owners to discipline players who sit or kneel during the national anthem. Wouldn't you love to see these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag say, well, I won't say what all he said, but firing them was what he suggested. And the thing uh, has taken off and has uh, now a life of its own. Meanwhile, uh, the president says in an ex- exclusive interview on Fox and Friends that the NFL owners are afraid to act against their players protesting the national anthem at games across the country. The NFL is in a box and they have to do something about it, he went on to say in the interview um, that aired this morning. I think they're afraid of their players if you want to know the truth. Well, it's the same interview in the same interview 
rather. He also touted the newly released Republican tax reform framework, describing the plan as the largest reduction in terms of dollars in any plan in the history of the country. It's going to be huge, in other words. And he insisted he will hold um, firm, uh, demanding 20 percent corporate tax rate down from 35 percent. It's doing it's going to be something really special, he said. The 20 percent is non-negotiable. He said he wanted to start with 15 percent, but noted that the numbers really work at 20. Um, Again, commenting on his um, tax plan. Well, Second Lieutenant Spencer Rapone is a 2016 graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point. A privileged appointee who was educated at an estimated cost to taxpayers of $400,000. Well, last weekend, as a show of solidarity with the petulant NFL uh, kneelers, Rapone posted photos of himself to social media under his handle, Kami Bebop. Hmm. Well, the photos were taken on graduation day in his USMA, again, the Military Academy uniform, one displaying his... uh, uh, his cover with the message, Communism Will Win, and another revealing the Che Guevara t-shirt under his uniform uh, shirt. Well, when the picture was seen, it was assumed that it must be fake. No cadet would have uh, brazenly uh, displayed or subscribed to such, uh, uh, such a thing, much less post photos of himself promoting it while in uniform. But Rapone responded to questions about authenticity. In case there is any lingering doubt, he wrote, Yes, it was serious. Until victory always, he cited in Spanish. It is the 1965 Cuban song written to honor Shea's uh, communist revolutionary legacy. Orapon now assigned to the 10th Mountain Division in Fort Drum, New York, apparently missed a few classes while at West Point, particularly those on the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Department of Defense Directive 1344.10 defines Communist Party as a political entity. The Department of Defense Directive 1344. Uh, .01 defines the regulations pertaining to military uniforms. Promoting a political party in uniform and on a military installation is a serious violation. Well, it turns out Rapone is a self-styled taxpayer-sponsored communist revolutionary, self-described. He's a member of the Democratic Socialist of, uh, Socialists of America, has posted photos of his uniform with his uh, DSA membership name tag attached, and he will be apparently dealt with. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 22 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I was talking about Second Lieutenant Spencer Rapone in his uh, 2016 graduation, uh, demonstrating or illustrating his uh, convictions. Uh, by the way, a month after his graduation, he posted a social media comment noting that the Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, and I can't repeat what he wrote, he added that the Vice President, Mike Pence, Similarly, um, in a uh, profane way, well, according to the UCMJ Article 88, any commissioned officer who uses contemptuous language against the president, the vice president, Congress, the secretary of defense shall be punished as a court martial may direct. Well, last month, after Rapone's socialist Antifa friends fomented uh, in Charlottesville, he posted the Confederate collaboration of West Point to another media outlet. Well, West Point issued a statement saying the U.S. Military Academy strives to develop leaders who internalize the Academy's motto of duty, honor, country, and who live the Army values. Second Lieutenant Rapone's actions in no way reflect the values of the U.S. Military Academy or the U.S. Army. As figures of public trust, members of the military must exhibit exemplary conduct and are prohibited from engaging in certain expressions of political speech in uniform. Second Lieutenant Rapone's chain of command is aware of his actions and is looking into the matter. The Academy is prepared to assist the officer's chain of command as required. Well, 
That investigation is uh, continuing. But uh, Army Private Chelsea Manning, as uh, he is now known, who was uh, sentenced to prison for leaking classified uh, documents and subsequently freed uh, by President Barack Obama, apparently inspired this West Point graduate and communist Spencer Rapone to infiltrate the uh, the military. Rapone has come under fire um, for being the subject of the Army's investigation. But in a Reddit post regarding Manning, Rapone spelled out some of his motivation for remaining in the military and exactly what he wanted to accomplish while serving as a second lieutenant in the 2nd Brigade Combat Team 10th Mountain Division. Those motivations included Manning's decision to leak national security documents to WikiLeaks. Now, notably, Manning was also part of the 10th Mountain Division. Uh, says uh, Rapone, and I'm quoting, I'm currently an infantry officer at Fort Drum, New York, assigned uh, to the same brigade that she was while enlisted. Every single day, I think of the contradiction of being a communist while in this organization, and her courage and tenacity give me strength and to continue the long march through the institutions, end quote. Well, the long march comment refers to a strategy of institutional infiltration and subversion coined by student activist Rudy uh, Deutsch, but originally developed by Antonio uh, Gromeski, a Marxist thinker whose uh, thought developed in the wake of the failure of economic determinism uh, to bring about a revolution. Well, after Rapone posted his comment, another Reddit user warned him not to talk so publicly about where he was stationed. I know, comrade, but I feel like we should not hide any longer, he went on to say. Well, it goes on from there, but it will be interesting to see what happens uh, to this uh, young man who uh, has defied his um, position uh, and uh, continues to serve in the military. Well, the Taliban and the Islamic State both claimed responsibility for a furious a uh, rocket attack on Kabul's airport on Wednesday as Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and NATO Secretary General uh, Jens Stolenberg visited the Afghan capital. Taliban spokesman said on Twitter that Mattis' plane was the target of that attack. Missiles hit in and around the Hamid Karzai International Airport hours after Mattis arrived for talks with the uh, with Stolzenberg and Afghan officials and to meet U.S. forces. Afghan Interior Ministry spokesperson Najib Danish said at least one civilian was killed, several wounded, many uh, when one of the rockets hit a nearby house. Security forces killed two of the attackers and suicide vests felled two others, Danish told the uh, local media. Authorities seized a rocket-propelled grenade, bombs, suicide vests, and other explosives from a building where the attackers holed up, he said. The attack damaged dozens of homes in the area, local media reported. An attack on an international airport anywhere in the world is a criminal act by terrorists, Mattis said later at a joint press conference with Stoltenberg and the Afghan president. It's designed to go after generally innocent people to make some sort of statement, and it's a classic example of what the Taliban is up to right now. Well, the Islamic State um, news agency released a brief video clip of a fighter using a rocket uh, to target the location, albeit unsuccessfully. Kabul airport chief uh, said that the attack began when two missiles were fired on the airport shortly before noon local time. The incident destroyed a helicopter, damaged three others, plus some Air Force hangars. The U.S. Embassy in Kabul said the airport was closed and urged U.S. citizens to avoid the area. Uh, Mattis uh, said such attacks only strengthen U.S. and global resolve. We will not abandon Afghanistan to the ruthless enemy trying to kill its way to power. And again, he was unharmed in this um, attempt to damage him. Well, Hugh Hefner is the founder of Playboy magazine. He died Wednesday at the Playboy mansion in Los Angeles, surrounded by loved ones. The magazine said in a statement he was 91. 
with a bon vivant philosophy, urbane sophistication, sheer marketing brilliance, all things that the world aspires to. He was an icon for the sexual revolution of the 1960s, the man about town and the embodiment of the lifestyle he promoted with gusto and a sly wink uh, to his readers. Well, asked by the New York Times in 1992 of what he was proudest, he responded that I changed attitudes towards sex, This that nice people can live together now, that I decontaminated the notion of premarital sex. That gives me great satisfaction. When he turned 85, he cheerfully observed, you're as young as the girl you feel. We're going to talk a little bit about his legacy Um, what he has left behind. And we're going to uh, share with you a post that appeared on Greg Greg Allen's Facebook page. He's a pastor of uh, Bethany Bible Church. To put this into perspective and what uh, Scripture has to say, one thing I'll mention before we go uh, to break in just a couple of moments, his parents were strict Methodists, and Hefner went to Chicago schools before joining the Army. He attended the Chicago Arts Institute. He graduated from the University of Illinois at uh, Champaign, at uh, Urbana, at the uh, with a degree in psychology. And he said, part of the reason I am who I am is my Puritan roots. They run deep, he said. He says his folks were Puritans. If you had to sum up the idea of uh, the magazine he published, Playboy, it is anti-Puritanism, he said. He was quoted as saying, as the country's mood became more hedonistic, something he was very proud of, at least at that time. We're going to talk a bit about his legacy and um, what the scriptures have to say about the kind of lifestyle that he uh, that he encouraged uh, in view of uh, some of the legacy of the sexual revolution itself. I want to mention a few things um, very briefly that are the, the result of that sexual revolution. The words may not be appropriate for young people, but I want to put into perspective sexually transmitted diseases surged to a record high in the United States last year with more than two million cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis nationwide. Again, the gift that keeps on giving from the sexual revolution. This was the highest number ever, according to the annual sexually transmitted disease surveillance report released on Thursday. Most of the new cases, 1.6 million last year, involved chlamydia, a bacterial infection that affects both men and women. Gonorrhea also increased among men and women last year, but the steepest rise was among uh, men. Nationwide, gonorrhea cases uh, surged to 470,000, with a large share of new gonorrhea cases among men. Um, who have sex with uh, men, uh, that surged as well. So as the uh, the nation celebrates the sexual revolution and one of its founders, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the perspective from the Christian worldview when we come back uh, a bit in the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Jonathan McKee. He's the author of The Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, 21 Tips for Wise Posting in an Insecure World. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, in a world like ours, where young people devote almost nine hours a day to digesting entertainment media, six hours of this interacting with screens, who's giving them guidance on how to navigate this digital world and to post wisely. Well, Nielsen Research labels age 10 as the mobile adoption sweet spot because the average age child who gets a smartphone today is 10.3 years old. 
Yet fewer than 50% of parents actually engage their kids in conversation about what they're posting, who they friend, and what they're streaming. Most kids embark into this digital world with very little guidance, well, until now. In his new book, The Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, author and speaker Jonathan McKee shares helpful tips to today's teens and tweens who are navigating the daunting world of social media. His advice is relevant and timely. It's a practical, hands-on book. It offers 21 real-life tips to today's young people, like know the app before you snap, don't post pics you wouldn't uh, want grandma, your boss, and Jesus to see. His approach is refreshingly honest and humorous, one uh, as one who knows teens and understands the way they think, and he provides information for them to make informed decisions and challenges them in a way that encourages and, uh, encourages rather and inspires without belittling. And he also addresses parents as well. We'll get into that in just a few moments. Well, Jonathan McKee is the author of over 20 books, including the book we'll be talking about today. He has over 20 years youth ministry experience and speaks to parents and leaders worldwide, all while providing free resources for parents on his website, thesourceforparents.com. And by the way, that's the number four, thesourceforparents.com. You can follow him on his blog as well. Again, Jonathan McKee, a regular dose of uh, youth culture and parenting uh, help can be found there. Well, he joins us to talk about the Teen's Guide to Social Media. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Now, we don't need to let everybody know this, but I'm, I kind of found that as an adult, uh, long past my teens, there was a great deal that I learned uh, in this guide that not only helps me understand how to address uh, teens and engage in that conversation, but also as an adult to maybe think through some of the choices I'm making in social media. So kudos on a great uh, a great book. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you're not alone. We as adults actually spend a little more time per day on average than teenagers, and that shocks a lot of adults. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you think about it, you think of that one big screen on the wall. Uh, adults spend more time than teenagers watching that. And I'll tell you, the age group that watches the most of that big screen on the wall is actually my dad's age group, you know, because they got to watch that Matlock, and if it's not <laughs> on anymore, NCIS. But, yeah. yeah, no, there's a lot of screen time going on, so we've really kind of got very busy adults that are like so connected to all their screens who kind of want to connect with their kids who seem to be connected so much on their screen. So this book of advice is directly to teenagers, but I spent some time at the beginning kind of talking to mom or dad and saying, okay, guys, let's, let's open up these avenues of conversation and here's a tool you can use to do it. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that, uh, that I really appreciated is that you begin the book with a note to mom and dad who oh. might be screening the book uh, with some quick tips about parenting the smartphone generation, how parents can use the book to engage their kids in discussion. Uh, what kind of feedback have you, uh, have you gotten from parents uh, so far as you address them first and they hand off the book to their teens oh. and tweens? You know, it's cool, and I've been, it's, it's been fun just watching this. This book just got on Amazon a week ago, and it's already starting to get reviews. And the one thing I keep hearing from the people that initially reviewed it, because I actually sent this book out to 30 sets, 30 to, I'd say 30 or 40 sets of parents who then let their kids try it out. And I said, try this. Let me know. Give me feedback. I want to hear, you know, do, do these questions make sense, everything. So I, so I ended up then getting their feedback and making tweaks. Well, the thing I kept hearing over and over again, is, okay, I think I just found my new uh, phone contract for my kid. In other words, read this book and then you can have a device. So uh, it, was, it was fun when I wrote this because I, I started the book with this, like, this little, little intro that kind of basically says, hey, a note to mom or dad or, or whoever that 
person is who lovingly bought this for the one you love, for the young person. And I just kind of said, hey, I know you got some questions. Uh, I know you have good intentions because you're about to hand this to your teen or your tween. So I just kind of gave them some quick, some quick guidance on, okay, so here's some things that parents are going through. Here's some tips. Here's some things to think about. Um, some common questions like what age should I let my kids have devices? So I, so I kind of gave them a little snippet of what that is because, you know, give them a peek at what even the Federal Trade Commission has to say on that about what age you hand your kids the phone. And that way they could use this book as a tool to hopefully stimulate some conversation between parent and kid. Now let me ask you, because there are some parents listening who are thinking, where was this book a year and a half, two years ago, <laughs> when yeah. I, you know, I was just introducing and my kid insisted on having uh, some device of some sort. Is it too late to kind of go back to the beginning, even if they're now navigating uh, on a smartphone or social media, uh, is it is it is there a point at which it's too late to review how they're uh, using this technology? No, not at all. Because I mean, most of the way I approach this book is the same way I approach young people at like school assemblies and events. Whenever I'm talking to teenagers, I don't talk with them as a "Here's what you're supposed to do." It's not this you know list of requirements. It is more of "Hey, here's some information as you're making decisions." So some kids who've never had a device yet, or some who've, you know, they're maybe they're 15 years old and they've had it, you know, since they first lied to get on Facebook two years before they were supposed to, you know, uh, for all of them to give them some information about, hey, think before you post. And a lot of the way I do that is through sharing story after story of young people. Because, like, you know, for example, I, I have to spend a whole chapter talking about Snapchat. Snapchat is probably one of the most popular. Snapchat and Insta are probably the two most popular apps. So I spent a whole chapter on Snapchat giving them information so they realize because Snapchat, really when it came on, you know, and became popular at first, it presented itself as an app where, hey, don't worry, these pictures disappear. And a lot of young people were learning out the hard way, hey, wait, that thing wasn't as temporary as I thought it was. I posted this picture, I made this comment, and somebody screenshot it. Next thing I know, the whole school was seeing it. So telling stories like that, kids really like hearing those kind of stories, and they remember those stories, and it helps them think before they post. And that's really kind of the goal of the book, is to give them this information so they can make these decisions. Because let's be honest. Mom or dad isn't going to always be standing over their mm-hmm. shoulder. And so one thing that mom or dad can do now is equip them with good information so that they can make these decisions when they're on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your approach in the book um, is that you're not uh, telling kids what to do. Yeah. You are giving them information so that they can make wise choices. Yeah. Uh, they need to be critical thinkers. They need to be able to evaluate. Talk a little bit about that approach as opposed to do this, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like I said, it's that same approach I try to use at school assemblies and that mm-hmm. is giving them information, using stories. One example would be in Chapter 17, I talk about um, texting and driving because it's one of those things that not just young people, that adults, mom and dad struggles with this. Coming to, oh, let me, just, let me just get this quick text out real quick, you know, and we do this. So what I do is I shared stories and one of the kind of, uh, you know, and young people often find this study amusing, but Car and Driver magazine uh, researchers actually served people alcohol, these, and they did this with adults, and then tested their reaction times in a simulator. And then they did the same thing with people that were texting and driving and comparing the two, and the results were eye-opening. 
finding that actually texting was worse than drinking and driving. And trust me, in no way are we condoning, yeah, so go ahead and have a drink. No, not at all. We're talking about how bad drinking and driving was. But, oh, my gosh, texting was actually worse. Well, these are the kind of stories that speak loudly to kids, and it gives them this memorable information that's going to shape the choices they're making uh, when mom or dad isn't standing over their shoulder. So that's the approach we try to use throughout the book is tell them stories, give them this information, give them things to think about. And then we include discussion questions at the end that can either be yeah. you know, questions that they ponder themselves or something that if that coach, that mentor, mom or dad wants to say, hey, read Chapter 17, and then let's go out to breakfast this week, uh, and let's talk about this while we're munching on eggs at IHOP. <laughs> now, um, one of the things that you uh, focus on early on in the book is privacy settings. And I'm, I'm not sure yeah. many of us fully appreciate the value of privacy settings. And you encourage young people to know who's peeking at you. You know, you get friend requests or, you know, there are always people who, who want in on your conversation, who want into your space. What do kids need to know about privacy settings and why is that important for them as well as uh, their adult parents? Yeah, it's super important. And of course, the way we talk to young people about this is important too. Folks, if we just tell our kids, hey, you know, read that whole, you know, privacy setting thing. Come on, we all do this. Whenever we sign up for something, there's like 27 pages of stuff that we have to go click, click, agree, 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 agree. I mean, who reads all that stuff, right? Well, so this, what we're really doing here is we're talking and saying, hey, here's some of the stuff you agreed to. And have you ever stopped and looked at who actually can read what you're posting, who can see? And this is a learning experience for all of us. I, this week, true story, this week, I'm driving down the road, and my buddy, I got this good friend uh, who's got this uh, 13-year-old daughter, and um, she and I kind of joke around a lot, and I always tease uh, her dad. I'm like, oh, ah, she's a good kid, you know, but, you know, is she being good on her social media? And so as a, as a once when I was writing an article, I said, hey, can I use her as an experiment? Let's, let's look at her social media, and let's see if she's being safe. So we kind of stalked his daughter. And we looked and saw what she was posting and, and who, you know, uh, who could actually look at it. And I basically, I just tried to hack her account. I, I went in and I was looking to see if she was ever letting her location being, uh, you know, being seen and this kind of stuff. And a lot of stuff that I talk about in the book. Um, and, and she passed with flying colors. So it was funny. So she was teasing me and kind of trying to like get at me like, oh, well, are you safe? Well, she texts me this week and she goes, so you're listening to country music, huh? And I'm like, What? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I was. I was listening to my daughter's country, and I don't like to let people know that I actually, every once in a while, listen to country music, but I was <laughs> listening to country because my daughter has a playlist on Spotify, and I was, I was listening to it. And so I'm sitting driving around. She goes, yeah, you were just listening to this song. And so I, I'm text, I, I, I pull into Lowe's because uh, I'm buying some, uh, some hardware and stuff for the house, fixing up. And as I'm walking through Lowe's, I'm like, okay, you're creeping me out. Were you in my trunk? How did you know what I was listening to? And she was laughing and teasing me. So here we are through this texting. She was able to, because I was her friend on Facebook and didn't look at my settings, she was able to, in Spotify, look and see on a computer. And so she actually sent me a screenshot. See, they'll see what I was listening to at that moment. I didn't even know that. So mm. sometimes it's just good for us to even realize, hey, who can see us yeah. right now? Who can see where we are? Who can see what we're doing? This is important stuff that we need to talk to our kids Absolutely. About. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. We're talking with Jonathan McKee, author of The Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast.
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Jonathan McKee is my guest. He's the author of The Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, 21 Tips to Wise Posting in an Insecure World. The book uh, begins with a note to mom and dad screening this book, but the book is written for teens to help them think through what uh, what they need to know and what they need to do to consider as they navigate the uh, uh, social media. Now, you uh, mentioned that uh, Snapchat is very popular among young people. First of all, explain what it is for those who aren't familiar with the app and what your advice is to young people um, uh, who uh, find this to be one of their, their favorites, if not the favorite. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's any parent knows what Snapchat is because if their kids don't have it, they want it. They've asked for it. <laughs> um, according to the FTC, you got to be 13 years old to be on it because FTC has this thing called COPA, Child's Online Privacy Protection Act. And actually both Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all those got to be 13. So, you know, a nice easy thing for parents, if your 11-year-old is asking you, can I be on Snapchat? It's like, sorry, you aren't old enough. But <laughs> for those of us who have kids 13 or older, Snapchat's this, this social media app, and, and I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm not a guy who's going to sit there and say, Snapchat's bad. It's evil. Um, Snapchat is basically a communication app to, to communicate with each other using pictures. And I'd say the majority of young people I know use it pretty innocently, and they use it as a fun way to, hey, look at this burger I just ate, or, oh, look at my face. I don't want to go to school today. And it's kind of like texting, but with a cool picture of my cool face, you know? And um, young people love that. Sadly, it's also kind of got some, as a matter of fact, I was just blogging about it this week, and I, and I kind of highlighted for parents um, there on the, horse, on the source for parents.com, I was saying, hey, you know, here's some things to think about. There's some good stuff about Snapchat and some ways that young people use it innocently, but there's also some ways they're just kind of a little risky. And, and one is the thing that we talked about earlier in our interview here today was the, the whole ephemeral nature of the app, the fact that it presents itself as an app where the pictures disappear. Well, a lot of people know how to grab those pictures through screenshots, or there's even these, you can literally, uh, you can go into the iStore and buy these things where it grabs images out of your cache, even though they're supposed to be gone. They were some bestsellers for a while there. So FTC actually kind of gave Snapchat a hand slap and said, hey, you guys are kind of misrepresenting yourself with these things disappear. You know, you can be as irresponsible as you want. Uh, not so. Mm-hmm. And, man, you talk to any principal at any school, he will tell you stories of a Monday morning where a drama all over the school because over the weekend somebody yeah. sent somebody a pic that they shouldn't have sent. It got it got screenshotted. It was sent all over the place. As a matter of fact, Netflix hit show Thirteen Reasons Why used that very storyline of a picture that went that you know she didn't realize was taken and was sent all over the place. So it's all those things that young people have to be careful about. And parents, we need to talk with our kids about this and have them think about this because um, Snapchat can be a, a, a program that where if, if you're, if you're trying to find this program where you can be as irresponsible as you want, that's just, doesn't happen. There's no miracle app that allows you to post whatever you want without consequences. So kind of my advice to young people throughout the book, and especially in that chapter, is don't post anything you wouldn't want the whole world seeing. Because who knows, your future boss might see that pic someday. So think about it. It's the information we're giving young people.
Yeah, I, I love that you suggest that they don't post pictures that you wouldn't want your grandmother to see, your boss, or Jesus. <laughs> That's a pretty That's good right. standard. Well, Jesus, Jesus is on Insta, you know, and he's got an account, so lots of followers, too. <laughs> but yeah, no, this happens all the time. I mean, it, it, it's sad. The way you often see it is boy asks a girl to send him a sexy pic, girl sends pic, eventually guy and girl up, guy shows pic to everyone, girl regrets taking pics in the first place. Sometimes, I mean, we've seen suicide happen, we've seen all kinds of stuff, and and you go on any high school campus, a principal has dealt with this. And, and here's where my advice differs a little bit, sometimes from the world's advice. The world warns us, be careful what you allow someone to film. And personally, I don't think that's really good advice, simply because I've read countless stories of people who don't even realize they were being filmed or recorded. So here's the piece of advice I give in the book. Live your lives in such a way that people don't, can't accuse you of anything. In other words, live your lives right. And it's not even my advice. It's from First Peter 2.15. It's basically saying, be careful how you live. And imagine if we lived our lives as if everything was being filmed. And so that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to advise young people to be thinking about in this book and hopefully opening up these avenues of conversation between parents and kids. Mm. Um, in Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, you follow uh, this book follows on the heels of another recent book. In fact, I think we talked to you about that uh, book uh, some time ago, 52 remember, Ways to yeah. Connect with Your Smartphone-Obsessed Kids. <laughs> Is this a companion book? Are they best used together or are they standalone? Oh, they stand alone for sure, but it, it is fun because 52 Ways to Connect with Your Smartphone-Obsessed Kid was written to the parent, where the Teen's Guide to Social Media is written to the young person. So the parent who is sitting there going, oh, my kid and their stupid phone, or, you know, they got a device in their hand all the time. It, it is some advice to the parent where I really sometimes I even kind of, you know, say, come on, Mom, come on, Dad, here we go. Let's put our own device down, you know, and let's find some of these moments like, and I remember you and I talking about it, you know, cherishing something as simple as family dinner and saying, hey, let's do no tech at the table and looking for these opportunities. And there's, and there's a bunch of them, I get 52 of them throughout the book, where we look for these settings where conversation opens up naturally without us having to say, hey, put your stupid phone down. Well, here now, this the Teens Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, I'm talking with a young person, um, and I'm talking to them saying, hey, man, I realize that maybe mom or dad isn't having this conversation with you, and maybe they don't even have guidelines on this, and, and whether they do or don't, someday you're going to be on your own, whether it's a college dorm or a marine barracks or whatever it is, and you're going to be making these decisions. So let's talk about what it means to post wisely in such an insecure world. Yeah, and it is difficult when you're a young person to appreciate how uh, something that you post when you're very young can haunt you when you are a mature uh, adult. So just great advice. And now we don't have much time, but I wanted to ask you uh, quickly to tell us about your tip number 12, the frequent tech-free zones, which may mortify some young people who are listening. What a tech-free zone, but what is that and why is it important? Well, it's funny how much young people are actually even kind of requesting this. There was a recent ah. survey from Common Sense Media where they asked parents and young people, hey, is, is tech becoming too much? Are you, ever, are you sick of it? Do you think people are becoming addicted to it? And 66% of parents, of course, said, oh, yes, yeah, kids use it too much. They're addicted to their devices. 52% of teenagers said, hey, you know what? There's sometimes where, you know, it's too much because they're thinking, my friend, sometimes I'm even trying to talk with my friend and they got their stupid phone out. So even young people are kind of saying, hey, it would be cool if every once in a while you put your stupid phone in your pocket. And because of that, for me in this, you know, tip number 12, talking with them, hey, you know what? 
it's, it, you know, this device isn't bad. I'm not saying throw it away, but guess what? You know, this might be a great tool for connecting with people outside the room, but we've got a problem when it starts interfering with our relationship with the people inside the room. Yeah, yeah. Once again, the book is titled The Teen's Guide to Social Media and Mobile Devices, 21 Tips to Wise Posting in an Insecure World. It's written for teens in a way that they can appreciate what's being written, suggesting how they might approach uh, this uh, sometimes treacherous uh, uh, landscape. And it also yeah. includes uh, parents advising you on how you might use this tool to help your teens to uh, to keep themselves, um, well, un, uh, unsullied by it all. Hey, Jonathan yeah. McKee, thank you so much for talking with us and for another resource to help fa- families uh, deal with uh, uh, technology. Glad to help. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, by the way, the book is published by Shiloh and is available. And as I mentioned, he also has a website, jonathanmckee.com. Um, and you can uh, find out more about him there. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. Welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Later this hour, we're going to hear a conversation I had back in July with Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Bible Church on what precedes a great awakening and how we might prepare to be a part of that. He also posted on his Facebook page a piece on the death of Hugh Hefner, who, of course, is the founder of Playboy. Uh, He was a pioneer. He was primarily a pioneer in objectifying women. Uh, Penny Young Nance, who is the director of um, Concerned Women for America, one of the largest advocacy groups for women on the conservative side in the country. And she writes, while many in the press are hailing Hugh Hefner as a pioneer in his day, championing abortion rights and breaking the shackles, of an oppressive sexual culture, the man represented a lifestyle and business that was in no way, shape, or form helpful to women. It's no surprise celebrities are tripping over themselves to praise the man who gave them a platform to become famous for stripping down to nothing. He will be buried next to Marilyn Monroe, the woman whose nude photograph he published in his first issue of Playboy. Hefner indeed was a pioneer. He was uh, the force behind the mainstream objectification of women, someone who paid them to take their clothes off and convince them that it was empowering to do so using the same arguments pornographers use for the same goals. In 2013, traffic um, in pornography sites received more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter behind. This is part of the legacy he says he said rather he was proud of. Pornography today is everywhere. It's easily accessible, which uh, accessible rather, which is different from the days when boys hid coveted copies of his magazine under their beds. An astounding 90% of boys and 60% of girls have been exposed to some, uh, to some form of pornography before they turn 18 today. Over half of men uh, look at pornography frequently. Sadly, 50% of religious men, we are told, say that they are addicted to pornography. In 2013, traffic to porn sites receiving more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined. According to WebRoot, pornography increased marital infidelity by 300%. And a study published in Science Magazine showed a direct correlation between consuming pornography in marriage and a higher divorce rate. Hefner said he never cheated while married, but he confessed that I had a lot of girlfriends, but it's not the same as cheating. And the breakdown of the American family continues. She completes her piece Uh, by pointing out that it's beyond her ability to comprehend how Hollywood views a man who walked around in pajamas all day, paid women for sex, brought the objectification of women into the mainstream culture, and became wealthy by creating a magazine for lonely men as some kind of hero? Well, these are are good questions. Um, 
Matt Walsh writing in his blog on Facebook said this. Hugh Hefner died last night. I'm sorry he's dead. I'm sorry for his family. But mostly I'm sorry for the incredible damage he did to society as one of the pioneers of the sexual revolution and a driving force behind our cultural decay. It's unfortunate that we must point out the fact that Hefner was a pornographer and a pimp, that his life's work was uh, was uh, to amass a collection of desperate women who were willing to be used and exploited. But we must tell this truth in order to combat the untruths that people are now saying about him. We live in a country where men like Hefner are immediately canonized upon death. I've seen Hefner described as a hero, as a role model. These are lies, and we must call them that. In fact, uh, the fact that Hefner uh, is dead does not change the fact that he was a peddler of filth. If a man wishes to be remembered as a virtuous and decent man, he must live virtuously and decently. We don't become virtuous and decent when we die, as if death itself washes away every bad thing we've done. Now, quite the opposite, actually. Death is when we reckon with the bad things. I've been assured that Hefner is in a better place now. He goes on to write again, Matt Walsh. I realize this is just a thing we say about all dead people, no matter who they are and what they did. And indeed, it's possible that Hefner repented before death and has now entered a better place. But to confidently state as fact that a pornographer is in heaven is arrogant and dangerous. Pray that God has mercy on him, but do not run around declaring that a man who spent his life having orgies and taking pictures of naked women must necessarily be reaping eternal rewards. Let's try to be serious for a change. Let's treat the death of a man like Hefner with somber honesty. It is always sad when someone dies. It is even sadder when a corrupt and decadent man dies. We may have hope that a man of great faith and goodness is in heaven. We may have the same hope for the corrupt man, but it is a slimmer hope. So we simply trust in the mercy and justice of God, knowing that he will deliver us all to the destinations we have chosen. And if we must learn anything from Hefner's life, it's that a life of selfish pleasure seems so pointless once it's over. That is the great lesson he taught us. May God have mercy on him and all sinners. Amen. And then this from a local pastor, Greg Allen. He's the pastor of Bethany Church. And if you're looking for a church in the Portland area, he's a great Bible teacher and it's a wonderful a congregation, but this is what he writes about the death of Hugh Hefner. Mr. Hefner, who was born of a Methodist family and who boasted a direct descendancy from the Pilgrim Father William Bradford, created a publishing and lifestyle empire that became one of the most powerful and formative influences upon the baby boom generation. But he has more than just a brilliant publisher. He was a philosopher. And the philosopher that guided his life work was one that is known as hedonism, a philosophy that esteems pleasure and sensual happiness as the highest good in life. In fact, he may well be the greatest advocate of that philosophy in modern history. It is a philosophy that does not regard God's moral law as having authority or that recognizes a reverence toward God as a pathway to true happiness and fulfillment. In fact, Mr. Hefner made it clear that he considered religious morality to be an impediment to true happiness. The announcement of Mr. Hefner's death made me think of the philosophy that he so powerfully abdicated. And my mind then went to the warning given in 1 John, 2nd chapter, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Pastor Greg Allen from Bethany Church continues writing on his Facebook post. 
The reason Mr. Hefner will be lauded over the next few days is because so many people in our culture value the things that he advocated and embodied in the philosophy of his playboy empire. The unhindered pursuit of sexual pleasure in all forms, the obtaining of the finest and most appealing of material possessions, and the celebration of the hipness and style of the good life. And yet these are the very things that God says are passing away, along with those who give themselves over to obtain and embrace them. If we would value the truth as God has declared it to us, then those words from 1 John 2 really need to serve as Mr. Hefner's real um, epitaph. And as a warning to those uh, to those of us who seek the truly good life that our creator wishes to give us and the pleasures that are at his right hand forevermore. Then he goes on. When I heard of Mr. Hefner's death, another thought came to mind, and it has a painful impact on me personally. I'm ashamed to admit this, but he was responsible for implanting a lot of images into my mind at a very, very young age and long before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm very grateful for God's forgiveness and gracious cleansing through the cross of Jesus, but I'm very sorry to say that many of those images through magazines that I found in lots of secret places, because they really couldn't be hidden from kids, still haunt my memory. Hugh Hefner stole a great deal of innocence from me and soiled my inner being in ways that perhaps will never completely go away until I'm in heaven. The Bible is something to say about that, too. The Lord Jesus, in what are, to my mind, some of the most terrifying words he ever uttered on earth, said, Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Matthew eighteen six through 7. People are rather... Uh, lighthearted about the fact that young boys stumbled upon or found these magazines and experienced the images there that imprint in many of their minds. It's not taken lightly, lightly in Scripture. Then Pastor Greg, he concludes, I sincerely hope that sometime in his long life, Mr. Hefner repented of his sin and trusted the Lord Jesus, that he would have heard about uh, from his Methodist roots. And if he did, he would have full forgiveness from his creator. But if he did not, and there doesn't really seem to be any evidence that he ever did, then his death is not a cause for accolades and honor, according to Jesus, because of the terrible damage he has done to so many lives around the world for so many decades. It would truly have been better if Mr. Hefner had never been born at all. Perhaps it's a better thing to think about an announcement of Mr. Hefner's death would be to remember what Jesus uh, then went on to say. And I'll close with this. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Jesus, in those words, was exhorting us in the light of the day of judgment to take whatever severe measures are necessary to separate ourselves from those things that drag us down into sin so that we can enter into eternal life and receive a full reward through faith. That's not exactly in keeping with the Playboy philosophy, but it is immeasurably immeasurably better than ending up where Mr. Hefner's pathway would lead us. I pray that in his final moments he came to faith, but I think his legacy needs to be proclaimed honestly. Thank you, Pastor Greg Allen. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, earlier today, Majority Whip Steve Scalise made a surprise and rather triumphant return to the floor of the House of Representatives for the first time since he was badly wounded in June in that mass shooting 
at the congressional baseball practice. It wasn't uh, known if he was going to survive his injury, so this was certainly a triumphal reentry. Colleagues erupted in applause. That, that, of course, won't last long, but they gave Scalise a standing ovation as he entered the chamber on crutches. He wore a dark suit and a striped red tie. His colleagues embraced him as he walked to the podium where he delivered a first, uh, firsthand and emotional account of the journey that uh, brought him back to Washington these past um, three months. Uh, it starts, Scalise said, recalling just how he um, he was laying on the the uh, bat, the ball field rather that day and unable to move. It starts with God. I just started praying. Pretty much every one of those prayers were answered. Scalise said he really did deliver for me and my family, and it just gives you that renewed faith and understanding that the power of prayer is just something that you cannot underestimate. He went on to add that I'm definitely a living example that miracles really do happen. Well, Scalise went on to. Um, to laud the heroic actions of the Capitol Police officers on the scene who helped to take down the shooter, crediting them with saving lives, his own as well as others. He expressed gratitude for the little miracles in the days and weeks that followed, as well as the outpouring of love from colleagues, foreign leaders, and people he had never met before. He concluded with a reminder to a body that is often sharply divided and is and will remain so for quite some time that it's important to rise above their challenges. Tim definitely is a living example that miracles really do happen. That's what the House Majority Whip Steve Scalise wrote. The Louisiana Republican has spent more than three months in recovery, first undergoing multiple surgeries, followed uh, by extensive rehabilitation at an inpatient facility. His office said in a statement that the congressman's uh, returning to work at the United States Capitol. The congressman will also complete an extended period of, period rather of outpatient rehabilitation over the coming months. So his work is not yet finished. I'm back. He's tweeted on Thursday morning, along with a photo of him looking out over the National Mall. Well, Scalise met earlier with House Speaker Paul Ryan, Uh, I don't have words right now, Ryan said after the meeting. He was quite moved. Scalise and several others uh, were shot on June the 14th when a gunman, James Hodgkinson, opened fire at a Republican congressional baseball practice in Alexandria, Virginia. The gunman was later killed by police. Scalise sustained a single rifle wound entering his left hip, passing through the right hip, uh, also known as the transpelvic gunshot wound. Well, the round did substantial damage to bones, to internal organs, blood vessels, according to Dr. Jack Sava, the director of the trauma uh, unit at MedStar Washington Hospital, where Scalise has been treated uh, after the shooting. Scalise is a top-ranking member of the GOP leadership. He returned to Capitol Hill a day after his colleagues unveiled a far-reaching tax reform plan expected to be the party's top legislative priority. After several failed attempts to pass health care legislation, this is next up. Well, Scalise presumably will resume his role in helping uh, steer the GOP agenda on the House side. Uh, returning to the public eye, he's also giving an interview on 60 Minutes um, that's set to air on Sunday. Lobbyist Matt Mike, um, House GOP aide Zook uh, Barth, and Capitol Police Officer Crystal Greiner also were shot in the June rampage, while Capitol Police Officer David Bailey and Texas Representative Roger Williams were injured. 
The shootings um, fueled concerns about the adequacy of security for lawmakers traveling in large groups, as well as the broader threat of political tensions turning violent. At the time, one witness said that the apparent gunman specifically asked whether Republicans or Democrats were on the field before the shooting uh, broke out. It was later learned that he had uh, looked at the Southern Poverty Law Center's website uh, to uh, as a, a part of his motivation for this uh, this action. In any event, he was shot and killed by local police. And uh, if Scalise, who is a ranking member of the uh, Republican House, had not had his uh, his detail with him, chances are many more uh, would have been wounded and perhaps killed in that shooting. So it was uh, certainly uh, a blessing to have all of them there when otherwise they would not have been, even with a large group of uh, Republican lawmakers, uh, as was the case at that time. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to uh, we're going to lighten up. We on Fridays, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news, some of the cultural things that sometimes are hard to believe, but true. And we'll uh, give you an opportunity to perhaps go into the weekend with a bit of a smile on your face. So we're looking forward uh, to that. And I hope you will uh, will join us. In the meantime, I know that all of us are continuing to pray for those whose lives have been totally disrupted as a consequence of natural disaster, whether you're talking about a hurricane, there were three that brought uh, serious damage to Houston, to Florida, to the Caribbean, the Virgin Islands, and of course to Puerto Rico, where the situation is grave. Um, and these situations, of course, merit our, our prayers for the people who are struggling, many, especially in Puerto Rico, who are suffering. But also it gives us an opportunity to give generously to organizations that are helping to minister to them uh, on the ground. Um, as uh, you may know, in Puerto Rico, there's been some difficulty getting the goods and services onto the island that has lost all power. Their communications is down. Uh, simple things like uh, food and water has uh, reached a dangerous level in terms of people having access. So uh, continuing to pray and also to give generously to those uh, who are serving there um, is certainly something constructive we can do. And of course, in Houston, where removal of debris alone is a major undertaking, and in Florida, where the recovery has uh, uh, has just begun over the last few days, um, there's a lot uh, for the country to focus on. A lot of money will be required to put things right. People will be moving in many cases away from what had been their home, choosing not to live through another event like that. So it's a disruption to the country and uh, lots of people, families, individuals, the elderly children are suffering as a consequence. So let's remember them in prayer. Well, again, tomorrow is Fun Friday, and we're going to uh, take full advantage of the opportunity to look away from the more serious news, which we'll certainly uh, cover. If there is breaking news, we will break in. Um, but looking forward to easing our way into the weekend during this first week of fall. Well, I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program and James Blend for engineering a portion of and uh, producing all of today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.